the Juris Doctor, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dr. T. It's a pleasure to be back here. Yeah, you wanted to give flowers? For sure. Um, just on behalf of the listeners and the audience of Visions and Tones, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, congratulations for the year you've had. 2023 has been a great year for you with respect to the, the guests that you've had, uh, some of the themes that you've spoken about, you know, really eye-opening, really riveting conversations and I'm sure 2024 is even more fire. So big up to you, man. Thank you. That affirmation is really good. Uh, warms my heart. I'm very grateful for it. Um, I mean, podcasting is not really easy. I think the last couple of months, couple of weeks, basically, where we came from now, it hasn't been easy for me because I was trying to sort of wrap up with my other work. Yeah. Um, the students had exams. There's been a lot of marking, a lot of admin taking place and reports, feedback, and da-da-da-da. Yeah. All those things. Um, but yeah, I sort of kept on pushing. You you and a couple of other close friends of mine, they've really been sending uh, beautiful flowers. For sure. Thank um, you. <laughs> you have to give credit where it's due. And I think you're doing a good Is that job. why you agreed to come back again? 100%. <laughs> There's, no. this, there's this concept just before we move yeah. forward there's yeah. this concept called mirror neurons yeah. so it says when you spend time with people that you look up to and you admire and you like their hustle with time you absorb their behavior their demeanor and the way they carry themselves so i'd like to you know spend my time with people who are focused engaged in moving forward and you've been a good you know example of that um, oh, within the, the community here in newcastle man thank so yeah you. Go and big up yourself. I can actually say the same with you. I engage with a lot of people, and on so many occasions, every time after our episodes, and I'll say to people, there's something about Onoka that I really like. Um, your way of thinking, your way of reasoning, you're more of an attacker for me. Uh, and by attacker, I basically mean if you oppose something, you don't just leave it there. You're very quick to put forth what is an alternative to that. And I don't know whether that is me putting pressure again for whatever we're going to talk about today to you. Um, so, yeah, welcome. I'm glad to be talking to you. How's, how's, how's the office work? How's, how's that been for you? It's great. Uh, it's been quite a transition going right. from studying and having focus groups, which is relevant to our conversations today, yeah. to having more responsibility, working in the office, having key performance indicators to reach. But for me, I'm grateful for it. You know, as yeah. I said at the top of the episode, uh, success is directly tied to personal growth. And this discomfort that you feel when you're in a new space in your life, it's important. It's right. critical for you to go through it, to struggle. And eventually, once you reach where you want to be, in retrospect, you look back and say, wow, that's what really shaped um, the foundation for my career and for other facets of my life. Do you want to give, give us a bit of a refresher again? What is it that you're doing? Uh, for sure. So now I'm a Juris Doctor graduate. Yeah. And I'm working in a plaintiff law firm um, that specializes in workers' compensation injury, civil litigation claims, and a few corporate uh, claims here and there. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I think the last time that I was here, we had a conversation centered around, you know, the legal aspects of business. Uh, my opinion has since changed. Really? Which uh, part in particular? I think business is a great um, facet of the law, um, just with respect to corporate commercial transactions. Uh, But having a more holistic view uh, with what you want to do and what you really want to achieve, 
um, I've had the privilege of speaking to some people who are further along the journey than me. And they say once you reach a certain level of, I'd say, economic comfort, your goals in the law change. You want to have more impact, perhaps with access to justice. You want to have more impact, perhaps with, you know, curtailing certain human rights abuse. So I'm not saying that I'm there yet, but I think my perspective has been broadened. Yeah, just by being exposed to these people. And it's something to think about, you know, in your solitary moments when you're at home, what right. you really want to do. Yeah. So, yeah. I like what you say. And, and, and maybe I can just throw this as a surprise question to you, thinking since you're doing, <laughs> <laughs> since you work with, you know, compensation for um, injury at work and stuff like that, that's more labor relations. Yeah. yeah? I did labor relations in my undergrad, and I nailed it. I was very good with labor relations. No surprise. Um, and I did labor law. I was terrible at the entire branch of labor law. So, really? <laughs> so um, you can imagine the, the surprise that one would be good at labor relations, but in terms of labor law, yeah, it's it's different. I don't know whether that makes perfect sense when I say labor relations and labor law it to does. people. There's, a, there's actually a section called labor relations when you're doing like your human resources, which is sort of getting a bit of a gist as to how you have to deal with um, different complex issues as, a, as an HR specialist in a company. That's right, yeah. Uh, where else labor law, you know, uh, you get more deeper and you cover the entire branch, you know, of the workplace from a legalistic framework, not from a management framework. That's correct. You know, labor law is a bit more nuanced, as you've mm. correctly pointed out. And especially from the HR perspective, if a company is struggling within, perhaps employees are not getting along, perhaps there's an unfair dismissal and it's led to the overall employee morale being down, certain instances of labor law need to be investigated because it impacts the company's bottom line. And you've correctly put it, you know, labor law is probably the pulse mm. of a functioning business. And, you know, just going back to your point where you said you struggle with labor law, we have a saying back home, you didn't fail, you just differed with the examiner. <laughs> so I think you differed with him and <laughs> moving forward, he needs to know. That's a nice way of putting it. Point yeah. is a fail, though. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you is... Um, I, th I mean, from my own observation and also being a critique of the so-called neoliberal economy, so to say, that has been a great part of my PhD work. But from the context of higher education, you'd see that a lot of things have changed in the workplace in, you know, times that have gone now. Uh, HR practitioners would sort of be a great and a good go-between of the employer and the employee. But today, this is a, a complete different thing, you know. Yeah. From my own observation, where I see HR people sort of do best to sort of help the company, you know, minimize costs and yeah. HR personnel has become a great vehicle of the neoliberal globalization. Uh, so to say, what's your what's your take about it? That's a question that I wanted to ask. And as to whether as a practitioner now in your field, do you ever come across or have you, because you just stepped in more into the bigger role of late, do you, do you sort of see or have you heard of those kind of complexities? For sure. And I think it's an astute observation that you've made. These days they're not um, referred to as HR as in the past. Perhaps the word that they use is people and culture. So the people and culture team in many organizations and law firms are no exception, seek not only to create an environment that's conducive for work, 
but also as you've pointed out just with respect to you know the business aspect they have a capitalistic agenda they have goals to reach so as much as we want to curate this space where people can do their best work remember we have stakeholders on the line we have business targets that we set at the beginning of the financial year and this should take precedence to any other factor and this is what you know brings rise to certain employment issues labor issues it's commonplace not just in australia across the world and as we move forward as we embrace artificial intelligence and technology and the skills of human labor become more redundant i think it's a very huge turning point with hr how are they going to break this information to their employees how are they going to deal with the fact that we have robotics and we have systems in place that can do work more efficiently what happens to the employees who've been doing these jobs mm-hmm. it's it's a critical turning point for employees and for organizations at large and the advice that i received you know coming to the end of my studies and moving into work is uh learn more skills the only skill that's important in this 2020s and the 2030s and in the future is the ability to learn more skills be teachable i think one of my favorite authors stephen covey he says that the half life of the information that we have is 2 years so the information that you have within 2 years it becomes obsolete so your capacity to continue learning growing embracing ai even if you know your own dinosaur like myself it's a great thing and it makes you more viable for employers and even for your own business yeah and and talking about ai are you are you fully comfortable with it no you, uh, you don't I have you, to admit no because <laughs> <laughs> earlier you said we need to embrace everything I was like ah oh, okay talking about embracing uh ai coming in and you know things becoming difficult for hr to tell people that you we letting you go here yeah. and i'm thinking also in terms of what then with ai coming in your job is a you know for sure in the law. Yeah. You, you won't be going to represent any ai because there won't be any ai that is taking their employees 100% to, to to court yeah right so what what are the issues that you'd say sort of push, pushes you to the edge in terms of Uh, that's a great question as well and you know just to refer back to my previous point i was the guy who used to type with one finger so when i saw the speed and the efficiency in which ai is taking over it raises some concerns i published an article actually on linkedin a few months ago oh, nice. called digitally fluent how generation z will reshape the law firms of the future and i spoke about ai being a tool it's a great servant but if not regulated it can be a very terrible master and even if perhaps you have some reservations towards technology like myself putting yourself in a space to know to learn to grow is the best uh, protection that you can have to ensure that you learn how to work collaboratively with it and to reach the targets that have been set uh, for you i think even you know in the soci- sociology sphere as well ai will be used to do more high intense research and in many of the arts many of course in stem it's it, you know quintessential now for their business but my perspective is glass half full I'm an optimistic person I think if we leverage it correctly there's so many things that we can do we can bridge the gap you know from some of the countries we come from like Kenya East Africa South Africa we can bridge the gap of developing countries with developed countries by using the skills to push us forward so in my perspective it's more good than bad my my concern with it is that we're becoming more of a lazy generation and i mean hard work thinking at some point used to be the greatest sort of skill 
the greatest value that people should sort of aim at having. Today, you see reasoning has basically gone down. And because reasoning has gone down, proper engagement has actually sort of died out. We're too quick to cancel each other because we cannot rise to the level of somebody else's intellect so we can sort of engage with them. But in the classroom also, I see this as a problem in terms of writing. Too many students submit work which was written by uh, Chad GPT. But when they have to sort of do discussions in class and you discover that whatever is on paper is different to what is coming from their mouth yeah um all those are serious problems because simple things are are no longer sort of simple anymore they have become difficult because we moved to the culture of sort of laziness uh plagiarism is too high and again ai itself still has its own shortfalls right yeah um i don't i don't know if you saw this a number of articles came out uh, still coming out some of them that basically point out how some lawyers try to sort of write concluding arguments using ChatGPT. I did, yeah. And and there's a number of cases that ChatGPT sort of fabricates. They never exist yeah. in, in a way. So all those kind of limitations, people can see them. And that also happens in the scholarship, right? Yeah. Where you find the certain authors or sources that ChatGPT will generate and you're like, but this source does not exist at all. Yeah. So, but... It requires also somebody to be good in their craft as a as an academic to sort of know part of my scholarship so that if I see something dubious from ChatGPT, I'm able to sort of question that. But it, it's getting, you know, regulated, as you said, to the sense that some in some qualifications has been allowed to sort of function. I think we can have certain units or modules where we can say ChatGPT is fine or a certain extent of it, but are we also able to sort of see when we are sort of creating a self-harm in terms of, you know, our laziness, failure to think, failure to reason, yeah, and so on and so forth. And how then this AI also, you know, subject us to be, you know, um, high consumers of, you know, the so-called yeah. contemporary times, you know, consumers of the modern capital and, you know, um, whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. Hundred percent. I think you're spot on. There's credence to the argument that using ChatGPT and other artificial intelligence reduces our capacity to think critically on issues. But to their credit, ChatGPT have come out and said in many of the instances where you put them to function on a particular topic, they indemnify themselves. They say this is, you know, correct up to September twenty twenty one or this uh, should be referred to by the proper legislations if you're dealing with the law. And there have been many, you know, reports that ChatGPT hallucinates. It makes up information that perhaps cannot Mm -hmm. be verified. And the onus is on the people who are using these platforms to interrogate the information that they're receiving, cross-reference it from their own investigation and their own research, and reach an informed decision knowing that they've covered all their bases. Because, you know, as you mentioned, the case of the lawyer who used ChatGPT to construct pleadings or perhaps to do case law references. Mm-hmm. There are people who are hiring these professionals to represent them. And they're using their hard-earned money that they've got from work. And the expectation is that these professionals will take care of their case and secure a favorable outcome. The moment you rely on somebody else to do that work for you, it raises a question as to your prof- how professional you are. And, you know, 
I know you know that, especially for certain cases, civil cases, criminal cases, legal fees are very high. Yeah, they are. The average person, when they come to visit a lawyer, it's not for something good. They're in a difficult moment in their lives. Perhaps they're facing a lawsuit or a divorce or they're facing criminal charges. Having to pay thousands of dollars up front just to secure your freedom is not an easy task. And for someone to rely on ChatGPT to save you from this issue, in my opinion, it leaves a lot to be desired. So I think not just um, legal professionals, everyone should take the time to do independent research. They can complement it with ChatGPT fine, but let um, artificial intelligence at this point be the skeleton of your research, not the flesh. Yeah, right. Yeah. I agree with that. I think yeah. that's, that's, that's beautiful. And, and would you say artificial intelligence at some point is going to get into the way of friendships? For sure. Relationships. For sure. I know that it might have positive impacts and, and I know this might sound funny for so many people, but I've seen um I don't know whether this could be one of those bogus things you find on Facebook or what, where people say I use ChatGPT to sort of apologize to my wife. <laughs> right? Yeah. But in terms of language and certain constructions, obviously I would I would I would presume that you don't want to sound too formal when you're apologizing also to your no. loved one, right? Yeah. Um, so I wonder whether that's true or not. But at the same time, I'm thinking in terms of my question now, in a way, in what way would you say it can stand in between people? And if this can be one of the things that also paves us to go towards, um, you know, the mastermind alliance, so to say. Yeah. If ever you you, you, see, you think there's a link to where we're going. <laughs> now, there is a link. And it's a good question because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tinder Swindler. It's a show that came out last year, you know, very popular in um, urban culture. But it set a precedent where people can curate this digital image. People can use AI to create this expression of themselves. And especially amongst our generation, you know, perception is reality. If I open your social media today and I scroll through the information that you've put there, if I don't know you on a personal level, I will take everything that I see on your page at face value. So... It leads to two different arguments. Argument number one, you can use it to leverage yourself. Perhaps you have a business or a brand that you're pushing. You can use AI online to really market yourself. But for number two, it's a security risk. There are very many people these days that I speak to who find love online, who find companionship, friendship, even you know relationships that lead to marriage. If the foundation of this is on a fabricated AI um, digital image it leaves a lot to be desired later down the track perhaps when there's problems in the friendship problems in the relationship someone feels like they've been uh, compromised the person that they thought they were speaking to isn't who they really are in real life so it's a balancing act between giving people a platform to promote themselves but also regulating and putting cybersecurity a prompt in place to ensure people who are perhaps unsuspecting are not taken advantage of and you know in dire situations are not put at risk of harm mm-hmm. so i think it's it's a great question it's not something that's not relevant to our discussion today on the mastermind group ai as i've said at the top is a great tool but it should be a good servant not a terrible master use it to serve you don't let it dictate how you live your life and take everything you find online with a pinch of salt do your own research before you reach a decision right and then towards the mastermind. Yeah, uh, that's our topic for discussion today. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you know what? I think it's a relevant uh, discussion to have. It's um, not even just amongst academics like yourself, but amongst uh, popular common culture. What is a mastermind group? A mastermind group is a cooperative partnership between two or more people who work in harmony to achieve common goals. Yeah. This is not a new concept uh, to us. The mastermind group has been popularized for hundreds of years, uh, particularly by one of my favorite authors, uh, Mr. Napoleon Hill, in his book, Think and Grow Rich, and his second book, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Napoleon Hill investigated the reasons for success amongst his society, and he found that these successful people always formed groups of perhaps four, five people, and they always said collaboration was the key ingredient to their success. Mm. Now, it doesn't have to be financial success. I'm a member of several mastermind groups on health and wellness, relationships. As an African here in Australia, I'm a mastermind group for several um, African professional networks. And I think it's a great thing, and it's something that needs to be spoken about on a huge platform like Visions and Tones, mm. just to educate and to invite people to form them amongst themselves, to have not just a group of friends or a sphere of influence where perhaps we go out and we spend some time together and we're friends, but we have a common objective that we speak about consistently. Mm. It gives you a track to run on and it takes your friendship or the relationship you have to a next level. Why is a mastermind group so important? The simple fact that I have information in my mind, you have information in your mind. When we collaborate on a specific definite purpose, we create a third mind which is a repository of the information that I have and you have mm. and that I can draw from. Mm. So pos a positive mastermind group is one of the easiest ways to move forward in the trajectory of your personal growth because I can draw from information of my friends who perhaps have a different experience and they can draw from mine. It's a great win-win platform. And when it's used constructively, it reduces your learning curve to learn certain things and to do certain things. Right. And, and yeah, I like what you say. I mean, you're paving it very well for us, but I was wondering if you can sort of stretch it further in terms of one who might confuse the mastermind alliance or mastermind group with yeah. uh, mentorship. For sure. Is that is that the same thing? There are similarities, but the contrast lies in the purpose of a mentorship. In a mentorship, it's a relationship between a mentor, someone who has experience, knowledge, and is an authority on a particular issue, and a mentee, someone who wants to reach the level of the mentor and accepts guidance, feedback, and teachings. Mm. Within a mastermind group, the expectation is that all members of the group are at a certain level of intelligence and knowledge, mm -hmm. so we are working collaboratively mm -hmm. rather than one person is an apprentice to someone else. So there are similarities in that a mentor would share information to a mentee, similar to how members of a mastermind group would share information amongst themselves, but the hierarchy doesn't exist within a mastermind group. We're all on the same level. Right. And for me, that does several things. Number one, it eliminates all anxiety of performance on the mentor. If we're all at the same level, we'll all be comfortable to share what we know. I'll give an example of a mastermind group I'm in. It's called Healthy Foodies, Oz. So it's no secret to people who know me. I love food. I love eating. But as I fell deep into my fitness journey, there was a real question of how I can find food that's not only delicious, but nutritious. So I did what the common Gen Z person does. I scoured Facebook looking for groups that I can join who are focused on this particular issue. And I found there are several mastermind groups of people who not only are knowledgeable 
about finding delicious food that fits within my calorie range, but also constantly share and motivate other people. It's what we spoke about off air just before we went on, on the mirror neurons. Mm. When you're surrounded by people who are where you want to be, who are pushing towards a specific objective, it's more like you absorb uh, their behavior, their demeanor, and the way that they do things. Successful people become successful by modeling other successful people. And it's the same thing with the mastermind group. So I'd constantly expose myself to these people, perhaps who are interested in health and wellness, uh, good food, nutrition. And with time, I found that I started to eliminate some of the bad habits I had with respect to you know binge eating, uh, too many junk food outings. And I think it's a great uh, experience in my life that perhaps I can share that can help someone who's listening yeah who might be interested in something like a mastermind as well, and who can start their own. Uh, I had a platform online. Um, it was inactive for a very long time, but it's something that I'd wanted to put forward. It's called AFYA, um, A-F-Y-A. AFYA is a Swahili word, which means health, but it's basically a mastermind of the same thing. Uh, young people who are interested in health and wellness, who are interested in promoting community with respect to fitness, who are interested in promoting healthy, positive living. I had a page on Twitter, which is X now, formerly known as Twitter, and on Instagram. And my purpose for this year, for 2024, moving into the new year, is to try and curate and create this environment where people are comfortable to promote and push healthy living. All right. So in this groups that you are in, uh, maybe if we can just get a little deeper about this. Is there ever... How do you communicate differences in terms of information? Because let's say in particular the one about food, right? right? The point is to be nutritionist at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, how do you balance a healthy conversation there with what is happening today? The way in which the political climate has gone so big, um, big movement on veganism um, and so on and so forth. And, and, perhaps the rise of misinformation at some point. How do you deal with such things uh, in a group? And whenever there's differences, does the group deter or you find ways to regulate things? That's a great question. And in any group, even masterminds as well, there is no group without challenges and debates. Some get heated. uh, Some are just adversarial in nature. But what I love about the mastermind group is that there's boundaries, there's set rules, for engagement prior to entering this uh, groups and people make a commitment to communicate respectfully. So yes, there are arguments from time um, with respect to which recipe is healthy. You mentioned about veganism. Uh, there are some people who swear against it. They can't imagine a life without eating meat and there's credence to that argument. Uh, but the fact that we can share our views and our ideas in a comfortable space without criticism and bias and we can agree to respectfully disagree, is what I love about this space. It shows a level of maturity. It shows a level of respecting other people's opinions. And it introduces you to a new idea. I'll give the example of us sitting at this podcast space today. If we disagree on an issue over the course of this conversation, I'll still respect the fact that you have an authority and you have information that you feel strongly about, and I'll reflect about it. So even if perhaps I don't entirely agree, the fact that you've introduced me to new information that I never would have known if we didn't meet is a great thing. You know, information is what drives the world forward. 
And I was introduced to that concept within the mastermind groups that I was in. I was a very adversarial attacker guy, as you said, uh, prior to meeting people like this. The concept of agreeing to disagree and remaining friends and, you know, communicating with respect was something I wasn't as exposed to till I, you know, I met, you know, certain people. So I, I think it's a great thing. And disagreement is healthy. It means that people are taking the time to do their own research and to counter what is being presented, which for me just facilitates growth. Yeah, I mean, th that's beautiful to share that. I, I don't know, because uh, sometimes I feel like uh, the problem might not necessarily be the sharing, but also where people are, you yeah. know, uh, intellectually, where people are also emotionally, yeah. so to say, right? I've been, of late, I've been very... Actually, let me not say off late because I've been sort of checking this, interested in many contestations within, you know, research about medical stuff, right? And, yeah. And, and I wanted to sort of get more from you. So in the conversation about food as to what is nutritionist and what is not nutritionist, how do we know who's exactly correct with in terms of that kind of an information? Yeah. And, and I mean, that also might be an element that speaks to, you know, an aspect of trust within yes. the mastermind group, yeah. right? Um, how trust can be cultivated, but how do we know who really, really has the rightful information considering that the kind of material that we engage with also yeah. do not sort of reason in the same way. They don't reason similarly, so to say. True. There's a metric that's used to determine who joins the mastermind group. This is not to say that it's exclusive and certain people will be rejected. But but it is discrimination. But yeah, it is because I think I I did go through uh, um, 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 Napoleon's book. And yeah, it, it, there's one chapter that actually specifies that, that you need to sort of be discriminatory as to For who sure. can enter the space and who cannot enter the space. Yeah. So why do you try to put it in a more polite way? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question because it creates um, an ambition for you to reach a certain level in order to be accepted. It's not exclusionary in the sense that we are going to reject you right off the bat because we don't like who you are. We want you to reach a certain level of engagement where you've done your own independent research, you've become an authority on this issue that we can respect and listen to. And then now when you're invited into the circle, let's say my mastermind that I'm trying to uh, curate for health and wellness, even if you have an opinion on something, it's respected simply by the fact that you have demonstrated that you have a commitment to this issue. You have demonstrated consistency with respect to how far along you are in your journey, de depending on what the group is about. And you've demonstrated respect in that you can tolerate other people's views, even if they contravene your own views. And you've, if you read the book, you, he speaks about certain uh, groups of masterminds mm. uh, in the business space. And there were huge debates at the at the time. There was an industrial revolution. People wanted to use steel. Electricity was such a new thing. And some of the debates were centered around, is electricity feasible in the future? Is this just witchcraft that someone has created in a laboratory? How can I power my companies? How can I come power my factories with electricity? Because coal was being used at the time. But the fact that people tolerated the idea of using a different source of energy has given us the ability even to have this podcast today where we use electricity, we're using uh, powered vehicles. These days, vehicles are even electric. So that sense of tolerance, that sense of 
we want you to be in the group but you need to demonstrate that you have the capacity to handle the conversations in this group has been the determining factor of the success of mastermind groups and it set the tone in the future where if someone wants to open a mastermind they will invite people who they respect and who respect them uh to push the conversation forward on the particular definite purpose that they have which which is beautiful and and i mean if i can sort of loop back to what i said earlier on when we talk when we're talking about chat chat gpt right this is where my concern is and my concern is not mainly about the mastermind aspect but it's in the way that you know a high and i think we've also sort of penned that out very nicely for us to say people should not make chat gpt the main yeah. fleshy aspect of their research but just you know a skeletal you know image uh, if we rely a lot into the internet for reasoning and sometimes also some in groups some in groups can actually be toxic and yeah. i mean we're living in the age where we've seen that a lot of groups are very toxic today yeah. which means you know one also joining us in my, my you know mastermind uh, masterpiece um, mastermind alliance alliance yeah they, they might they, they might want to be extra careful as to whether you're not joining sort of a toxic space or not but in relation to what you said now you know because you know likes of i know that napoleon spoke highly about likes of your henry ford you know yeah also um during their times it was much more easier to sort of a certain common goal in that way whereas today there's too many things that are happening yeah right um we more fragile today, you know, not to say we cannot sort of form healthy uh, mastermind groups. We, we, we sure can, but I believe that there might also be a lot of contestations about um, our ways of selecting whether someone should be in or someone should not be out, yep. should, or should not be in, you know, should not be accepted into the canon. Um, a lot of uh, name calling today, uh, yeah. racism, this phobia, that phobia, and so on and so forth. And, and and the fact that very often it might, you might sort of not allow somebody into the can on, on the basis that you're not sort of that intellectually high to can make a particular contribution. Uh-huh. The, 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 the in-group can be criticized um, that you're sort of putting somebody out based on other qualities as opposed to the main thing that you need to be to be you know that's right yeah utilized um you know there is there is arguments that suggest that okay if it's exclusionary in nature in that nobody can just walk into a mastermind and dictate how affairs are going that perhaps it's not for everyone but i'd like to flip that argument on its head and say that it's not exclusionary rather that it promotes accountability accountability is lacking and you mentioned it in your point especially these days with so many distractions that we have online people are literally glued to their phones i was reading a book just uh, the other day by carl newport called deep work and he speaks about how the attention span from the 1980s to today has significantly dropped people don't have the capacity to do uh, undistracted focused work or undistracted focused meetings like the meeting we're having today simply because there's so many distractions and the purpose of having a mastermind group is one where we know the set rules even prior to having any engagement is that we have a definite purpose that we're going to achieve we're not going to be distracted by sidelines and sideshows and information on the periphery that's uh, moving us from our goal and in the event that it happens because you have to put you know contingency measures we'll have someone in the group that will keep everybody else accountable 
let me refer to the example I gave of the mastermind group that I have for food, for healthy food. Someone might post, you know, a scandalous article that says eating hungry jacks every day for three months has led to me having a six pack. And, you know, <laughs> face value of that argument is it's ridiculous. But you'll, you'll complement it with academic articles of how the protein from the beef patties synthesizes um, amino acids in the body that regulate perhaps your energy. And someone else might give that argument credence and say, yes, it's true. I've tried it for myself. I ate it for a week and I felt stronger in the gym. Mm. It comes for someone to be accountable in the group and say, yes, perhaps you've presented that argument and you have several articles that back up your finding. But if we look at the overarching message of your argument, it's promoting unhealthy eating on the basis of one person tried something and they were successful. And therefore it's not credible and cannot be presented to a group where health and wellness is the priority and the foundation of us meeting. The moment that there's a consensus that this argument um, is not admissible, it's completely discarded. And this is not to say that the person who brought that argument uh, is a terrible person or is a foolish person. The pushback comes on the argument itself and not on the person. If we have a disagreement, I don't disagree with who you are as a person, Dr. T. I disagree with the concept that you're postulating. And likewise for me, you don't disagree with who I am as a person. I just don't think that your argument has merit. Mm. And it goes back to the purpose of a mastermind. It's a specific group that are geared towards a definite purpose. There's no need for personal sideshows or assassination of people's character. It's on ideas that push people forward. And that's why they're more effective. Look at the United Nations or perhaps uh, BRICS, which is... Uh, more uh, popular yeah. discussion for now. Yeah. BRICS is a very powerful organization of countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The fact that it's a mastermind because they have specific objectives that they want to achieve. India recently launched a, a spaceship. Uh, yeah. The fact that they sat down and had these objectives beforehand and they didn't go into personal nitty-gritty issues like perhaps South Africa's migration system or India's struggling middle class or Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The fact that they didn't attack each other on these personal issues but focused on a specific issue is the contributing factor for this mastermind's success. That's a beautiful example, yeah. speaking about breaks, but I'm a little worried about it being a political, really? political ground because, yeah. you know, with politics... Anything is possible. That's you true. can wake up tomorrow while yesterday we were good neighbors, then you become the worst of enemies and so on and so forth. But again, the market has a way of having people to, you know, uh, get back together again later on. That's right. On the point about uh, that you use, for instance, on Hungry Jack, I think, I think that's more of a very much simplified point, yeah. to, to be honest, right? Yeah. In a sense that if you use a Bayesian principle, um, there's this principle, I don't know if you heard of it, called, um, it's a Bayesian principle from Reverend Bates. Oh, okay. So you use the principle to sort of corroborate knowledge. Yeah. So as you said, if someone said, I, I, I ate a Hungry Jack and I had a six pack, we know that that's no way anywhere close to yeah. the kind of knowledge that has been produced uh, yeah. intellectually all around, right? So that's more of a simplified kind of an example. But obviously, we do have more complex things to think about, right? True. Uh, which someone might might quote something from. Um, 
an accredited journal, so to say. Because yeah. also what one thing, so the point I was, I wanted to make when I said I'll, I'll, I'll lately sort of pay attention to research, especially um, medical research, is because I've seen how that platform is actually highly exploited within the neoliberal structure. But it's not a problem of today. It's been a problem yeah, forever. It's been, it's been know, prevalent. Ethics have been yeah. a huge concern in the medical field, but many people do not think about it, right? In a sense that even accredited journals today can publish something which is just questionable, but because yeah. it's published by a certain professor, people will be like, we need to believe this work. But the professor could be on the payroll because the it, thing yeah. is even, you know, scholarly, people have entered into the so-called, it looks like you're an influencer, so to say. You can yes. be used as a professor being given money and you write something that leans and pushes a certain direction. So if we are to debate what nutritionist food is, I, I would say, okay, can we go back to times that is had gone by the yeah. contest between you know saturated fat across you know uh fiber so to say you know yeah. the debate about um kellogg's you know which yeah. the debate about kellogg's as much as some might say it leans towards you know capitalism where you know people are encouraged to eat cornflakes because you know um it helps the boys to stop masturbating and whatnot because that's the whole idea about, about kellogg's by the way wow um you look at that, but then you actually don't do proper research to discover that, you know, Kellogg's himself also had a bit of a religious influence around that because he was coming from the Seventh-day Adventists. You remember Seventh-day Adventists yes, yeah. pushing a certain narrative also about food and what to consume and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, all those things become more complex issues. And I like the fact that earlier on you said there's no sort of focusing on nitty-gritties about when you were making, you know, reference to bricks. Yeah. But in this particular case, then let's say the point is not to make issues about the nitty gritties, but then the common goal in which we're working in or we're working towards has certain loopholes like what I'm saying now in terms of the food, in terms of fiber, you know, fiber versus, you know, yeah. saturated fat and so on and so forth. How do we reconcile that kind of a space? Because that knowledge might not that knowledge, if you look at it, you may find that if you use a Bayesian principle, it is evident in it different is, yeah. scholarships. So you cannot sort of discard it in the way you discuss somebody who said, I ate Hungry Jack's burger and then I got six pack. Yeah. So it's both different kind of knowledges, That's but true. serves different purposes. But at the same time, we're working on, okay, let's be fit, let's be healthy, Eddie. But then we come across that kind of a situation. What's yeah. what's the way out of it? Is it is it a man for himself now, or yeah. so so? At what point can we say what we want to sort of achieve? At some point, it's fine for us to not achieve it. I like how you've put it. There are loopholes that do exist when this information is given out um, to any mastermind group, be it one based on fitness or based on relationships or political ideology, and it goes back to the point that I said: by the fact that you're a member to a mastermind group, by the fact that you're a member to an organization that's focused towards one particular goal, you've already reached a certain level of personal responsibility where you do your own research, where you corroborate information that you have with several articles. There was actually an uh, outcry on these um, academic influences that you've spoken about. <laughs> yeah. And one of my heroes was actually being vilified online. He's called Professor Andrew Huberman of the Huberman Podcast. Uh, one of my other heroes, Dr. Joe Dispenza who's an adjunct professor at the University of uh, California in LA, because they've stepped out of their role of being professors and being you know, medical experts, and they want to now 
give out information on TikTok, give out information on Instagram, and it rubbed a few people the wrong way. You always find those experts who have their own mastermind groups who say, this academic and this professor is wrong because I published this article in you know, 2015 or 2016 that directly goes against what he's saying. And he's using his popularity within the academic space to leverage a social media presence in order to make the dollar, as you said. I don't think that argument has any credence for two reasons. Number one, all these academic and medical influencers that you see always begin their episodes, their YouTube shows by indemnifying themselves. They say the information that they give is not a representation to the university that they're affiliated with. It's their own personal views based on their own personal research and based on their own personal findings. Why I like this is because they take full responsibility for the information. They don't veer it off to say that this person said this in an article, so I'm going to run with it. No, they make their own informed decisions. The second reason why I think that the argument... And the reasons are justified sometimes. 100%. Because obviously you know that university with, with the new structures, universities would want to sort of distance themselves, especially if they're in alliance with certain yes. uh, philosophies. Right? Yeah. If, if, if a university is more progressive, and then you come and you write something that sort of is opposing the current structures. You know, you just sure. don't say we don't we don't know this person. We distance ourselves from this person. Yeah, but the, this and and of which for me also that is is a problematic thing. Sorry, keep your thought there because I don't want to. Uh, no, no I'm, worries. I'm derailing you a little bit. I think this is also one of the issues that I see institutions, universities, sort of um, robbing people of critical thinking. That's so true. When we, when we, when we as institutions begin to sort of lean towards just an ideology, you know, uh, push a certain ideology, and if so, so these came out a lot on my research also um, on on student protests. So students say universities are actually bullies, right? Yeah. If now I can leave, if I can graduate in a university and I go there and I invent something beautiful in the world, it'll come and claim that's our student, that's our product. But if I go there and I say something damning to the entire world then university will be like, we don't know this person. We distance ourselves from that person. All those kind of things. Basically, students saying that's part of the bullying aspect, which is it, it, it robs people of critical things. So my point was that even if those professors you're talking about come and say, this is not a representation or these are not the views of my employer, yeah, there's sort of reasons around that. True. And the universities have a reputation to protect. You can't blame them from distancing themselves uh, perhaps from a professor or from an academic who has polarizing I'm views. I'm not sure whether I can say it's mainly about a reputation to protect, yeah. but it might also be about they've got money to make. For sure. Um, most top universities are publicly funded and they rely on trustees, they rely on uh, sponsorships, grants from prominent people within the society in order for them to function. And perhaps if they take a stand or an ideology that goes against some of the people who are sponsoring these bursaries, who are setting up these trusts to run the uni, they run the risk of falling into financial jeopardy. So they take a step back and say, the views expressed by person X do not represent the views of this university, and we completely indemnify ourselves from the views of person X. And they do still stand a chance of producing nonsens nonsensical <laughs> knowledge because they're interested in capital. For sure, uh, but that's so it's a, it's a hard one for me. Like, how do we how do we cross that road? In, uh, so, so I guess with this point, we, what we're we talking about now, we're talking exactly about knowledge production that speaks towards you know yeah. uh, articles that have been published in, or, yeah. or whatever knowledge has been published about health and 
good eating, but all that yeah. seated within. Now we are in this mastermind group, but we're not seeing eye to eye as to which knowledge should be yeah. sort of followed. So I'm just re- repeating this so that people don't think we went far away from. No, the you're right, and it's it's a great backdrop to the example that I've used of a university. The board of trustees in any university can be considered a mastermind group. They have an objective that they want to reach. Uh, we're both alumni now of the University of the Newcastle. The objective is to be rich. Yeah, no, uh, that's Telling debatable. That well, debatable, debatable but, yeah. but with the neoliberal structures, universities are making buku money, bro. They're that's making true. a lot of money. That's true. That's what it's, that is the idea of university. You look into, you look into the structures, right? Uh, vice chancellors, in most cases, those people are no longer scholars. They bring people who come from corporate and they bring the corporate structures into universities, institutions yeah. of our learning. Yeah. So we're running universities as, as, as companies, right? Yeah. And I'm not sort of arguing that this is inherently wrong, but I'm saying the model and the change of structure is also something we need to question because that filters all the way down to the kind of mm. knowledge we're producing, the kind of information we're giving to people. You're 100% so, so correct. Yes, yeah. we might have a reputation to build, but I mean, all those good, private companies when they come and they invest in the engineering department it's not just to invest there and then say take money because we've got a lot of money to give it's a yeah. strategic move yeah. we need something back in return so the mastermind aspect of the very same senate house you know it might be false claims sometimes good claims yeah. legit claims to say we've got a reputation to protect but sometimes let's be honest it's just about the money well it's my view you don't have to believe with what i'm saying and you're entitled to your view i think you know you do raise a good point and it does trickle down to the information that you receive henry ford is someone you alluded to yeah. at the top of this episode and he's infamous for stating that he doesn't want a nation of thinkers he wants a nation of workers he wants a nation where information from him as an industrialist trickles down to the lowest person in his factory and you can use that analogy towards universities as well Perhaps, and I'm not saying that this is concrete knowledge, perhaps a vice chancellor or a board of trustees for a uni wants certain information to be trickled down to the students. They want students to be good workers. They don't want students to be good entrepreneurs or business owners. They want people to fill into a space. And, you know, it's something that you need to investigate holistically. Because maybe that, that's their agenda. That's their mastermind. Yeah, that's their agenda. I agree with that because this has been a great part of my PhD, right? Yeah. The critique that today's you know, education doesn't see a lot of people as potential employees, but it prepares people to be perfect employees. As you yeah. said, perfect workers, right? Yeah. And I mean, with being a perfect worker, there's goodness in it also. I'm, there's no, I don't see it as a bad thing to say I'm really no, to be a good worker, yeah. right? But again, it takes a moment where, because I think uh, Napoleon might have raised this also somewhere on his work, that the more than I become a worker, uh, it can also be a possible space for me to meet up with other mastermind people at work. Yes. And then I see in what way can I sort of maximize my income without just only relying on being a worker elsewhere. Right. Yep. So workers are good, but at the same time, if people are sort of pushed to the idea of thinking only as workers, but there's no sort of training of someone mm. to think outside of the box, that's how they can remain just there on that lower level. They can remain there just as a proletariat, so to say. Right? Yeah. Um, um, and again, people who are not sort of well taught to think out of the box, sometimes they've got certain issues that they come across in life. Just to yeah. accept everything, any kind of nonsense thrown at you, you just take it. Yeah. Because you've been conditioned to that particular thing. And this happens also in politics, not just in the context of you know education or in the workplace, right? 
And I wanted to start off also bring in, I think it was, um, uh, who's this guy? Microsoft guy. Bill Gates. Was it him who actually alluded at some point that sometimes getting people who are not, um, I might be quoting this wrong, help me out. Yeah. People who are sort of not that kind of uh, well-educated or sort of people who can figure out pro solutions to certain problems it has something mm, to do with yes, sort of not it's, conditioning yeah. people yeah. Uh, to only this kind of an education because that kind of an education and this yeah. kind of a thinking conditioning people to think in one way you might sort of be blocking them to think out of the box and therefore bring out solutions to other problems that we never really thought of that's right he spoke about it as well he said when he was starting microsoft and he was forming a mastermind with respect to the managers who would mm-hmm. be running it as the company expanded he had to shoulder the burden of teaching people how to think differently because he was a free thinker. Mm-hmm. His perspective is he can create hardware and software to change the world with respect to computers. But the graduates that he was receiving to work in his company, yes, they're coming from these prestigious universities, you know, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, but they've been conditioned to think in a way where they're subservient to others. And his a vision for the company, and I stand to be corrected, was to expand at a rate that was quicker than what they expected. So he wanted them to be leaders in their own rights. And those are some of the challenges of a mastermind group. You want skills development. You want people within your circle, your sphere, to be on the same wavelength as you. But if they're reasoning like employees, they're reasoning like low-level people, and you're the only one reasoning like a boss, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Now it's boss and employees rather than members at the same level of a mastermind yeah. pushing towards a goal. Right. Yeah. So it's a great point. And he says skills development where he takes out time, you know, regardless of how the company is doing, how our profits are going. Let's mark out webinars, seminars, workshops for you guys to reach this level of thinking. Even if we're taking out time from working, that webinar that we do for one day or the workshop we do for a weekend will supercharge our growth as a business when we're on the same level at the mastermind where we're thinking the same where we have a similar you know purpose and i don't have to spend time correcting mistakes because not everybody's at my level so it raises a great point and not just uh microsoft as well even ngos let's say perhaps there's a humanitarian issue um like with the refugees here in australia if we have an ngo which is a mastermind group of people who have a specific purpose to ensure that migration into Australia is within the framework of the law, but is also with respect to the plight of some of these refugees who are coming from war-torn countries. If the basis of this NGO is to ensure that people are successfully here, rather than we want to get money from the Ministry of um, Immigration and Culture, and if we can reach a certain quota of people to bring into the country, we'll make money. If there's no disconnect between what the purpose is not only will people come into the country legally, but it will create a sense of uh, unity where diversity is appreciated, it's respected. People come into the country knowing that this is a safe haven rather than being just political pawns to reach a certain interest. And it, you know, it also curates the nature of Australia not as an emerging middle power at the level of Canada and probably in the future at the level of the United States and the United Kingdom. So the mastermind group is inescapable in every aspect of life. And the true challenge is bringing people together towards a common objective and ensuring that they don't deviate from this. Not that one person has their own um, sinister motives and everybody else is working towards a goal. 
one other thing I struggled to understand, and I don't know if this might be a bit of a critique from me to uh, think and get rich, so to say. I think don't, I don't know whether I uh, yeah. grow rich. Yeah. I don't know if you you can say you've sort of internalized the book, <clears throat> sorry, entirely, or you do have certain questions. When I when I engage a book, I engage a book. Um, uh, in a way that I look at its relevance today and whether the principles being introduced today, what kind of pitfalls um, are likely to sort of ensue, so to say. True, yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's the case. So it's because at some point I see an element of here, yeah, you do have to be discriminative. I agree, right? If you want to achieve something, you cannot just have a platform where you say, all are welcome. <laughs> you know, the religious uh, style. Come, yeah. as, come as you are. No. <laughs> we need thinkers, right? I agree to that. And I agree to the fact that at some point, then Napoleon points out, uh, I watched one of his, I can't remember which year it was, speech where he spoke and he said, part of the success is the fact that you are sort of in pursuit of something, but at the same time, you're helping other people to sort of attain yeah. the same thing, which I yeah. felt like that was good. But I, at the same time, I was, there's a little bit of a, you know, a conundrum kind of a way here where you, 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 you're speaking two different positives and yeah. they sound good, but they may need to sort of be well elaborated and yeah. part of me engaging also the book i was thinking about today's politics being much more different to yesterday's politics yeah many people think only of masterminds in the context of one group but not the, oppo the opposing group so to say so for instance let's say you say yeah likes of um elon musk today yeah. Uh, Zuckerberg, even though they wanted to have a fight, uh, yeah, never happened. <laughs> probably still going to happen, you know. And the others who are like great giants. Let's say they are those kind of you know great thinkers who say we're thinking towards whatever goal. And obviously, they see their employees in a different level. Then it's incumbent upon their employees to sort of see themselves growing and creating their own masterminds. So that's the frame we're thinking of. Yeah. And in today's politics and today's language, that's value and greater virtues to sort of 100%. chase, right? Yeah. But have we thought of the fact that someone who might say we also have our own view, but our view seems to be more opposite to what Zuckerberg and Elon are trying to build. We're not trying to push mm. capitalism. We're thinking towards a communist, socialist kind of a style. And then we say, oh, those are not sort of a mastermind kind of a group. Those are uh, reactionaries or those are vigilantes and there's yeah. something wrong about them. So I don't know if you get what I'm saying. I do. I say in terms do. of our thinking, we've sort of positioned. It's, it's the same way as the, the concept of a hard hardworking right for me when I'm like society has taught us that hard work is only you know Eddie going to uni doing great but we never think about even a thief that's hard work because you're thinking also yeah. about how to be strategic but can yeah. you imagine if you're going to take a thief and say instead of thinking about how to rob people can you come in let me use your skill to think about something else yeah so a thief also that's hard work yeah. you know, hard work is subjective yeah it's 100% subjective Very and you much use so. the yeah. great example you know the thieves perhaps they level up they use the information they have from these armed robberies where they kick in doors to hacking would you open up to say gangs are also masterminds? Ah. <laughs> Let's see the, the jury's doctor. Let's put the jury's doctor under a hot seat. <laughs> well, you know, the perfect answer is it depends. 
It depends, but in my opinion, I don't think criminal gangs are mastermind groups. Um, they need to be treated with the contempt that they deserve. That's a different conversation, though. Yeah, but yeah, that's an entirely yeah, different no, no, conversation. No, no, yeah, that's an entirely yeah. different conversation. First, but, first, let's address the fact that, okay, aren't they a group of people who think they've got different sets of skills, they can yeah. listen to each other, they can plan towards a goal, yeah. and eventually attain the goal. That's the, po- that's, that's the first point. I know you're trying yeah. to protect your reputation and your job here to say you're not supporting gangs. <laughs> Let me call you out. It's the last episode of the year. <laughs> you know what? Almost. Your definition almost satisfied the criteria of a mastermind. But where it uh, falls off is the fact that there is hierarchies within criminal gangs. There is a mafioso, a mafia boss. There is a conciliary, the people who do the groundwork. And there's the foot soldiers, the ones who carry out the objectives of the mafia boss. It doesn't sound any different to me than saying you see Elon sitting with Zuckerberg and so yeah. on. Those are top giants, but yeah. they still got foot soldiers who are the employees. What you're trying to do here yeah. is to point out uh, a situation where in a gang you might have a higher higher hand whatsoever. Yeah. But the point is gangs are also different. Gangs yeah. have different structures. For sure. At the end of the day, they may say we, we. At the end of the day, they may come together and say, "Okay, I'm good with you know using a hammer. Another one, I'm good with using a bomb. I'm good in using a this." But the point is, we're going there and getting whatever we want. We're yeah. going to steal those two sausages and then we come. I, I like it. the fact that you used um, Elon's example, and I don't know if you noticed just before he took over the helm at Twitter, you know, there are several people who are diametrically opposed to his leadership. He has a different style of leadership and it rubbed some people the wrong way. There was a mass exodus and in Silicon Valley there was this conception that uh, the fact that Elon Musk has this ambition to take over all these aspects, it paints him in a negative light. And on that basis alone, you can't call any of the companies he runs a mastermind. A mastermind perhaps might be through leaders, maybe Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Ellison, uh, Bill Gates, people who are at that level, yeah. meeting as heads and making you know deliberations with respect to the industries that they run. Perhaps that's a mastermind. But an organization where there's clearly a head and there's clearly people who are subservient to him cannot be called a mastermind for several reasons. Right, I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So if one person has authority of other people and it's not a relationship where we're on the same level, whatever information the person who has authority will go and will be truth and will be the testament for that company. So what you're saying is in relation to the fact that within gangs, um, those hierarchies are very apparent and they have to be followed. It's less likely to find a leader of gang one, leader of gang two, leader of gang three. Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Yeah, point taken. And it's because also they have the same interests. Remember, gang leaders, just for purpose of this example, are engaged in the same business. So let's say I'm a gang leader, I'm engaged in this type of criminal activity. There is a high likelihood you as a gang leader engage in the same activity. We're in competition with each other. And even if we'd want to collaborate in the future, there's a certain sense of trust that's not there. And I'd have trepidation engaging with someone who's a mafia boss if I'm a mafia boss as well. Because there's no trust, there's no honor amongst thieves. If anything, me bringing my enemies closer leaves me you know, prone to attack. And it draws back to the example that we were giving on the mastermind groups amongst bigger organizations. It starts at the source. If we can have mastermind groups within our small social circles and we not only share information but we gain experience as to what it's like working in a group where we're only focused on a particular objective, be it we want more 
healthy relationships. We want more healthy people amongst the youth. Be it we want more people um, influenced towards uh, technology. I like the mastermind groups, particularly for women in STEM. It's something that I've right. been following. Okay. A healthy relationship where, you know, educated women come together and say, our objective is we want more women in the future to be engaged in STEM. I think it's something remarkable mm-hmm. and needs to be commended. Mm-hmm. These are the examples that we need to follow. A mastermind group in which there's no true basis, there's no true agenda that we have, and we fall off course several times within our engagements, it leaves a lot to be desired, and it's it wastes a lot of time with respect to using individuals who have a lot of information, but, you know, varying them around in circles. So the basis of the mastermind needs to be established well beforehand and strong leaders need to stand and say, this is the path we're going to take. I'm liable to be accountable for everything. My friends are liable to be accountable. It creates a strong foundation for a mastermind. And, you know, all of the good masterminds are evident in society. Cream always rises to the top. Yeah. I like how we've been going with this conversation. I'm not sure whether did we end up tying up the idea about um, mental, sorry, uh, medical research and whatnot. Uh, I think yeah. that, that that's a bigger branch. My, my point is, I think we, but I would love to sort of still hear from you if you've got anything to sort of close up there. Maybe if I can give you space for that. If there's nothing, we can move on. Uh, for sure. With respect to uh, yeah, the, the, the the different medical reports being sent in and how we use those kind of differing views to sort of find a space. So is it a matter of, well, a man for himself or let's rest then because we're not breaking through this point? Uh, sure. I think, as I said before, you should do your own research, but I'd vouch for certain uh, medical uh, authorities, medical figures. There's an advent of uh, telehealth, medical health, where medical practitioners now use IT, use social media to widen their audience. And I think it's a great thing. Perhaps for people who couldn't meet these experts directly, you know, you can't just fly to the United States tomorrow to meet this particular surgeon who is a specialist in this particular area. If they have a platform where they give information with respect to how to mitigate some of the symptoms you're feeling, I think you'd be inclined to give it some credence. You don't have to follow it 100%. But the fact that these are people who have been established for years and years and have a track record of success, and they're giving you this information at no financial benefit to them. They just genuinely want to serve humanity. The onus is on you to take what they have to say, critically think about it, and and use it. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah. I like I love what you say. At least I can hear that you are sort of open to sort of alternative knowledges, sort of saying... I often get um, interested to hear a, a lot of stories from medical practitioners, either it be scholars or the actual practitioners in terms of, um, especially those who are sort of vilified, so to say. Yes. So likes of your Owen Malone, your Peter McCullough, those are people I like that Peter McCullough, yeah. I was like, I want to hear what they have to say about this. And the more you listen to them, for me, I think the more persuasive they become looking at and also judging from the fact that I understand how the neoliberal structure can be very much violent against people who try to stand on their way. Yes. But obviously it still remains a little bit of a challenge that 
I might sort of agree with them. I think a part of me still is open to the fact that I might agree with them, that I might be persuaded by them, but at the same time, it's not everything that comes from their mouth that I would say I take it because I'm aware of how the neoliberal structure can be violent to people yes. who stand on its way, right? That yeah. would be a wrong way to go about it. It will actually be creating superheroes in the sense that even if they are wrong about something, I don't sort of oppose it. I just take it because I praise their work. That's true, yeah. You know, likes of... Um, is it Asim Malotra? I don't know if you know about Asim Malotra. He's a cardiologist uh, who's actually exposed the corruption that has been happening in the medical field. Wow. And his research actually pointed out that um, the sugar industry, how it conspired, you know, within the 1960, in the 1960s, how it conspired to sort of point saturated fat as a problem yeah. in the mental health while they were actually making buku money, you know, on the other side. Yeah, you get, uh, you get those elements. Likes of your Sean Baker was a physician, was actually, his work points out to the fact that there was sort of a vilification of uh, steaks and red meat to be sort of dangerous and so on and so forth. Uh, hazardous to health, where else in, in reality he believes that that's not the case. Yeah. Some information is not sort of uh, looked at carefully. You know, some proteins from the meat is not sort of looked at carefully it's sort of judged in relation to the entire burger yeah. right so the entire burger is not healthy because it is this and this, as opposed to okay mm. but can you judge the meat alone without the burger yeah and 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 how some of the critiques would come from veganism and so so i've be, I, I was I've, i'm sort of fascinated in listening to different kind of views i'm not a person who sort of only takes something from the one source. uh yeah one source or just from the progressive because i've got sort of progressive elements that I agree with or I believe in. I also look at the other opposants and say, huh, okay, this is very much interesting. So yeah, you've got a you've got a very good point there. Yeah, for sure. And I like your approach of consulting several sources. And that's one of the main benefits of having a mastermind group because we have experts who are geared towards a particular mission, but they all have their own personal experiences. I'll give an example of a a mastermind group for, for running. So, you know, they call it a cult, the 4 a.m. club. People who wake up in the middle of the night and do 5K runs. Right. Uh, I've done it a few times. Um, I'm a big supporter. I'm not as consistent as I wish I could. But the fact that someone might say, I'm more of a night all, and I might not find that waking up at 4 a.m. to do a 5-kilometer run conducive for me, the fact that that person's opinion can be appreciated and said, yeah, that's true. And someone else might say, I'm more of a morning owl. Uh, by 3.30 in my house, I'm awake, I'm listening to motivational videos, I'm ready to go at 4 a.m. And other people give credence to that argument. The fact that these, you know, diametrically opposed arguments can coexist is what makes a mastermind, you know, so fascinating. Mm -hmm. The end goal is health. Whether you use this route to get to health or you use this route to get to health, we have the similar end goal and the end justifies the means. And if we have a similar process towards getting towards the end goal, if you're a night person, perhaps you have a morning routine and a morning ritual that gears you towards being effective at night. If you're a night, if you're a morning owl, you have a night routine that puts you firing from all cylinders when you wake up. The fact that we share the same processes leading towards that goal is what's you know beautiful in my opinion, mm -hmm. and it's what keeps people accountable. Perhaps I want to use this way for three months, see how I feel about it. And I use this other way for three months and see how about it. It leads to personal growth. And you need to surround yourself with people who have different ways of reaching the same success that you want. 
in order to expand your mind as well and you know open your horizon towards different ideas i think it's great yeah i mean i like the points you've been raising now also um trying to scale this thing down to a more relatable kind yeah. of uh, activities because i was thinking about it that we've been having a chat and the chat still sounds almost high class scholarly kind no, of not way. at all but i was thinking that actually part of this sort of so-called mastermind things are things that we've been doing in our communities. For years, yeah. Our parents have been doing in our yeah. communities. But it's just that, and I guess with the point that I was trying to make, say mastermind, we've thought of it only in one-sided view. Mm. As to it has to be only that top elite people. As though as we all sort of aspire to be rich and look like them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we've been sort of engaged in sort of mastermind kind For of sure. And, and I'm thinking a lot about also... Um, Harambe in, in, in yes, Kenya. Yes, yes. Harambe is actually a big thing about our culture. And I'm thinking about Stockfells. Yes, Stockfells as well. South Africa, you know. I um, think in Zim they call it rounds. Um, I was, yeah, I was a member of a rounds group oh, uh, nice. when I first came and <laughs> it was great. You know, it helped me pay, got my first car, got wow. my first place. Yeah. And the concept is the same. Unconsciously, we were members of mastermind groups. Mm. We just didn't know. Mm. With the Harambe, we just didn't know that we're a group of minds working together towards a specific purpose. Mm. But when you have that intention behind it, like you say, you know what, I genuinely want to start a mastermind group to achieve goal X. It gives you that extra power to persist when things get rough. And you'll find that with any goal that you have in your life, when you have people who are collaboratively working towards the same goal, the time that you use to get there reduces significantly. Let me give the example of education. It was always my dream to go to law school, be a lawyer, practice as a lawyer. But I wouldn't call myself, you know, the most intelligent, sharpest uh, person in a classroom. But being self-aware enough to think, okay, I can form a mastermind group as a self-help study group where we share ideas that we've studied about. We gain resources from each other. We share notes. We share maybe case reports. And the purpose of this group is specifically for school. We might be friends outside the group, but when we meet as a mastermind, we focus specifically on this thing. It supercharges your growth as an academic. It exposes you to ideas that you'd never have found if you did your own studies. And it keeps you accountable. When you see person X in the group getting high distinction after high distinction, even if you're not in competition with them, it rubs off on you. And you make a determination with yourself that if I'm in close contact with this person, then my mastermind group, surely... I should not even, I don't have to exceed them, but at least come close. And it pushes you to be a better version of yourself. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of masterminds. Mm. There's a huge difference between a mastermind and a group of homies or a group of friends. Because with your friends, you give them more leeway to be themselves, which is fine. We all need friendship groups. But when you have a mastermind group, you have a predetermined goal that you had, perhaps at the beginning of the year, New Year resolution. And you have people within that group who have the same goal. So iron is sharpening iron every time you meet. And I think it's a, something that should be considered. As I mentioned at the top of the pod, there's a mastermind group that I had you know, sought to start with a few of my friends who are interested in health, well-being, nutrition, fitness, especially amongst the young people here. Mm-hmm. And it really never had the wheels to run off because I didn't have the time to actively pursue it. But platforms like this where I can come and speak about these things and for it to gain relevance and credence, I think it's a great thing. And I'll keep you updated as to how the progress goes. Nice. Yeah, but taking the first step, studying masterminds for yourself, 
putting metrics in place to see how it grows is it puts you forward and even if it's not a you know a massive success in the long term the growth that you will witness in your own life from taking the step and trying to do it is essential and you look back in 10 years in retrospect and say wow i put this structure in place look at the community that we've grown and more importantly look at the how we've impacted people's lives i love this yeah. um that's really good yeah i think on my side perhaps the last parting way i can say i love the fact that with mastermind concepts if you join one you need to know it's incumbent upon you to sort of be a contributor you're not there to exploit people's nah. knowledge you also have to bring something yep. know, uh, to the table and while doing that uh, i just had my bit of an epiphany right now as you were talking I th- i'm not sure whether we may have covered this to sort of refresh my memory the fact that if me and you eddie enter into this partnership so to say and we've got a goal at the end of the day outside of this partnership we still do have our own other things happening that's right yeah so while it's incumbent upon us that we need to bring something onto the table we need to also be very careful that if whatever goal we're having now if we achieve it is going to propel you higher forward or much more forward 100%. than me i do not sort of become toxic to sort of drag you down because it might actually be um jeopardy to the entire movement so why come together in the first place right so that's a good point yeah and it comes back to the crux of a mastermind group one individual cannot be higher or better suited or better favored than another individual mm-hmm. for it to be called a mastermind mm-hmm. ideally we are on the same level and it's a win-win situation where i win if you win and only i win if you win not if i win and you lose and then we have this you know friction mm-hmm. that destroys our relationship prior to us forming a mastermind group the idea is for everybody to make it same with harambees mm-hmm. in a harambee situation or in a stockville situation The idea is everybody gets a chance to get that specific portion of money at a time. And the Harambe or the Stockwell is only complete where maybe perhaps every week or every fortnight the distribution comes to person A B C D of the group. And at the end of the Stockwell um setting or the end of the Harambe setting, you find that people have their own personal goals that they've achieved as a result of contributing money and receiving money back. And that's the same point with a mastermind. it cannot be a success if someone gets propelled forward at the expense of someone else that's just exploitation that's not a mastermind group a mastermind is successful where before we even engage we set out our target this is what we want to achieve and it's only a complete mastermind when we've achieved it and we have favorable outcomes for myself favorable outcomes for you and as you said we need to start it at lower levels this is not something that we should imagine only like the elite yeah. or corporate class yeah. or politicians are doing Mastermind start at the low level. Charity begins at home. When you do mastermind groups within your friends and you reach a certain level of success where everybody benefits, it will give you a huge sense of confidence to raise higher and higher and higher and eventually you'll find not only do you achieve your goals, but you form strong personal friendships, strong personal networks that endure lifetimes and go to your children and their children. That's why the elites have this thing for we only work within our circle. They had masterminds way before they had the wealth that you see today. And the fact that they keep it within the family, keep it within their social hierarchy 
is testament to the fact that they don't want external people entering into the mastermind group. This is not to say that what they're doing is good, but just to give you an overview of why trust and relationships through masterminds endure for, you know, 50, 60, 80 years. It's not the principle of the money we contributed together. It's the fact that I can trust you at such a level. It doesn't matter how much money it is, even one billion or one dollar. I can trust you to deliver on your expectation in the mastermind. You can trust me to deliver on the expectation. That trust is the creation of a social virtue that pushes you guys forward. And it's something that I'm trying to push as well. Granted, there will be challenges. Some people will feel aggrieved or affronted or taken advantage of. But putting structures in place to mitigate that even before you start a mastermind is one of the contributing factors to success. You can never start a long drive, let's say from Newcastle to Melbourne, if you've not checked the pressure in your tires, if you don't have a spare tire just in case something happens. Contingency plans should be in place because problems happen. Same with the mastermind. We need to have rules beforehand. We can't just accept anybody. And we need to investigate information that's given in order to prevent massive problems that lead to the collapse um, of the group, of the organization, and eventually, you know, of the relationship you've built. So I think it's a great way to wrap up your point in that trust is a huge factor. And I know you don't like the author I'm about to cite, uh, Francis Fukuyama. He, he wrote an incredible book called Trust. Why would you call me out? <laughs> yeah. And I'd really encourage the listeners to go look for the book or look for the podcast on Spotify. The book is called Trust, the Creation of Social Virtues. And in Mr. Fukuyama's research, he found in high-trust societies, there's lower incidences of crime, there's more economic prosperity, people are free to leave their doors open at night, nobody's going to steal from them. We trust each other. Did I tell you why I, I, I don't like him? No. It's exactly that, because Fukuyama was known to be one of the racists. Ah, okay, I didn't and know that. And Fukuyama... Um, um, so when you listen carefully about issues of trust and so on and so forth, that yeah. particular concept, the characteristics that he's raising sounds exactly things happening in the third world. Yes. If you listen carefully. Yeah. But of which, like I said, when I engage a book sometimes, um, I tend to sort of think about a lot of things. I'm a thinker, overthinker yeah. about things. And I found that in that book... Uh, what I find is as a loophole is what exactly cost the, tr the 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 mistrust, mm. as opposed to just closing the book such that it appears as though people in the third world generally have got trust issues. As yeah. though that's that's how they necessarily were. Where also yeah. not necessarily most of the case. It's a good point. So so that's basically a bit of my sorry about that. You can continue. And yeah, um, he the. But I agree. I totally agree yeah. with 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 him yeah. in, in terms of what he's saying. M mind you, the fact that who stirred up the mistrust in the first place—that's yeah. a different conversation, right? Hundred percent. But I totally agree with, with with him. And he raises a point that in instances where there's low trust, where people don't trust each other, and you know, even the concept of forming masterminds is almost impossible. There's higher incidences of crime, higher incidences of corruption. And there's a lower socioeconomic uh, background for most of the people. It's, you know, poor communities, poor countries. We don't trust each other. What is the incentive for doing business with someone that I don't trust? It's, you know, it's close to none. So it goes back to the mastermind group as well. Trust is the foundation of any relationship, be it a friendship, be it a business partnership, be it a mastermind. And trust is not something that can be formed immediately. 
an investigation of someone's character and people investigating yours needs to happen over time, way before you even form a mastermind group or you form a friendship. I give the example of, you know, meeting uh, people at an event. You can have thousands of colleagues that you meet, shake hands, share a picture, have a bit of a, uh, you know, report with. You wouldn't necessarily call them your friends, but they're colleagues that you acknowledge and you respect. Friendship comes from a deeper investigation of someone's character, values, habits. Are they who they say they are? Are their behavior congruent with who they uh, put themselves out to the world? And same with a mastermind. You know, you don't enter into a mastermind group with people perhaps whose uh, character is not fully known to you. Yeah. Because it, it could have disastrous effects. It could, you know, leave a terrible taste in your mouth. And for them as well, because it's a huge investment to be in a mastermind, not just uh, resources, but time as well and emotions as well. So just to conclude, I think uh, the purpose of a mastermind is quintessential to growth of communities and to personal growth as well. I raise the concept of Ubuntu. I am who I am through you. When we live vicariously through other people, particularly in a group like a mastermind group, the level of accountability is so high, not only don't you want to disappoint other people, you also don't want to disappoint yourself. It reaches a point where you're so successful in a mastermind group that you reverting back to the former version of perhaps Dr. T or former version of myself mm. would be would be disrespecting myself. I've you know, witnessed so much personal growth due to this mastermind. For me to disappoint myself and behave out of character, it wouldn't be in the best interests of everyone. And that's what I like about the mastermind, that accountability that it has. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned about the running group, I mentioned about the food group, and you know the one that we want to uh, promulgate here with health and wellness. On the days that I don't feel like being the person I say I am, if I look into the group and I see people flourishing, you know, fetching their life per se, I'll be inclined to do the same. And likewise, on the days that you're feeling low, you're feeling down, you don't really want to aspire to the values of the mastermind when you see me flourishing and pushing myself forward it pushes you as well mm-hmm. we learn through other people and that's what i like about these type of forums and i thought it would be a great thing to speak about get other people's views get the community interested in issues like this and perhaps gain more ideas having a forum where people can say no we don't like this mastermind thing critique it it's good for me any feedback is good feedback because if you look at it objectively it's push towards you growing. So I think that's why it's a great forum. I'd like to get your views as well as we wrap up of the Mastermind Group. What do you think? I think it's a brilliant thing. Like I said, um, first off, thanks for sharing. That was a very great talk. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a last kick, a beautiful kick. And and as you speak, you made me think about uh, too many things which we've never had enough time to sort of explore. It can be subject for next conversation. Um, for instance, issues around also romantic relationships with For the sure. mind can exist. Because I remember Napoleon at some point uh, made a comment about people not believing in Ford, I think Henry Ford, and like, yeah. the wife became some kind of a nice mastermind sort of yes. instilling back yes. the confidence in him. But again, in the book, I can't remember the title of the chapter where he speaks more about... Um, sex and he yeah. unpacks it nicely how yeah. uh, it's important for people stepping into their mastermind to sort of be people who are well greatly controlled in terms of yeah, character sexually right? disciplined, yeah. sexually disciplined uh, 
mostly successful people are never engaged in all different kind of nonsense called promiscuous things before their 40s, which that's a conversation that today yeah. you, you won't sort of uh, be liked by so many people Aww. if you're going to come and say that, right? They'll frog march you out of this place. Yeah, they'll be like, no, well, you're disrupting our happiness. We want to be happy because sex is, is an addictive thing and it's the easy, easiest, yeah. most attractive thing, so to say, right? Yeah. So I believe in, uh, I like the concept of the mastermind. Uh, I guess what I was going to say is that I've been engaging in it, but never really necessarily thinking of it as a concept of the mastermind, like, yeah. like we already said. So it is a good thing. Part of my questioning to you is not because I was against it. For for the listeners on the other side, I know that you don't think about it in that way. It's part no. of probing deeper, so yes. to say, right? So part of my questions are not sort of, should not be understood as me being opposed to the mastermind. I think it's a beautiful concept if you want to go. Um, what does the quote say? If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. If you're going to go fast, go alone. That's true. Yeah. So I think uh, going in a group and being a person who believes in principles of Ubuntu, certain part of it, part of the principles of Ubuntu, uh, moving together. I okay. think I think I do like I do like the concept. That's good to hear. And and I would still encourage people to not only think about mastermind from the context of just one body. Um, open up your critical faculties and think about different other people that even in whatever they're doing good or bad it's sort of in pursuit of a mastermind 100% uh, yeah. thing but also whilst it's in pursuit of the mastermind um, character it doesn't mean it should be exempt to critique no critique is healthy yeah. critique is important having a constructive negative feedback loop is what facilitates growth Yeah, having people who can say no you are wrong in this or this um, information you're giving is not credible, or this performance here is, you know, it's mediocre, it's pathetic. Having people who critique you, who would genuinely want the best for you, who keep you accountable, is essential to personal growth. Being surrounded by yes-men, people who allow you to be complacent and hype you up, is one of the quickest recipes for failure in life. Having people who... (laughs) be a mirror and say this is who you aspire to be and this is who you are yeah. why is there a difference it'll supercharge your growth and identifying who are people who are yes men and identify people who really want you to grow is a huge prevalent issue especially amongst the youth and that's why masterminds are so important when you know people within your group are of a certain uh, caliber of character you know certain things won't slide they won't allow you to behave in a certain way and just let it go under the surface no They'll keep you accountable for your behavior and you grow together. And I'm sure you've been, you know, perhaps in friendship circles. Definitely. I've been in certain circles yeah. where certain, you know, bad behavior is tolerated and even encouraged. And if I retrospect, if I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, why was I involved in certain things? And the contrast is also true. I've been in certain groups and I'm still in these groups today where people keep me accountable where people are not afraid to ask me hard questions, difficult questions about my life. And those are the people that I respect because they see the potential in you. They want you to be the best version of yourself. It might not be a mastermind group, but they're constantly keeping you accountable. Accountability is key, bro. 100%. Accountability in today's life is key. But unfortunately, sometimes we put our mental health or mental stability to, you know, Mm. forward to escape accountability. That's it. And, you know, the only way you can escape, the only way you can coast, per se, is downhill. Mm. You cannot coast uphill where you're getting uncomfortable and you're growing. You can only coast where things are chilled, 
downhill. Mm. You're not getting better, you're getting worse. As one Definitely. of my you know, favorite heroes says. If you're not growing, you're dying. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no gray area in between it. It's either you're improving as a human being or you're lagging behind. And having people who should push you forward, regardless of how you feel in the present, who know that you have a better version of yourself that you can achieve, those are people that you need in your circle. Those are people that you need in your mastermind group. And other people who perhaps tolerate or encourage mediocrity need to be eliminated. It's nothing personal. Yeah. It's just that your self-love is greater than how you want to feel in the present. And sometimes self-love is tough love. Beautiful. Yeah. This is a nice place to land. Hundred <laughs> percent. You've been great, my friend. Thank uh, you so much. It's always good to sort of get all that wealth of knowledge from you. Um, I love that you are humble, well-read, a good communicator. Um, oh, thank you for having me. friend, I'm really, really, really pleased. And I mean, what you just dropped now is information people can take into their 2024. For sure. Uh, and I'd like to wish all of the listeners a Merry Christmas and a prosperous 2024. And as I said at the top, thanks Dr. T for giving us such a platform to give this info. Amazing. To a bigger year next year. We have cups here, I say cheers. We are cheers. <laughs> cheers, man. Thanks, bro. Cheers.